All right, well, we've got this new series. I'm excited about starting off today on New Year's Eve. What a better time to start a, a series called Party People than, than, uh, than, than New Year's Eve. How many of you agree, would agree with me that it can be a little bit annoying to see people celebrate or, or party when you really don't feel you're a part of it? When you, when you don't feel like you've got the reason that they do, some, some of you maybe experienced that this morning. You, you're at church and there's somebody kind of raising their hands and they're exuberant maybe with their worship. Sometimes maybe the people up on the worship team be like, they're just faking that. That must be part of the book for people who are on the stage that lead worship, that that's an instruction that says that they, they need to do that. What are they so excited about? You might even get a little you know, frustrated with people's exuberance depending on what you're going through that week. Some people even think that celebration in church is wrong. I don't understand it, but they were raised in church to be maybe silent or solemn in church. But it inspires me when I read that David said in the Psalms, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord and worship. There's something about that. We are designed by God to be party people. Some of you might not understand very well. When you think of going to the house of the Lord, when you think of going to church on a Sunday morning, uh, you, you don't get real happy. You don't get real excited. You don't get very pumped. You're not very full of anticipation. Maybe not even have, you don't have some eagerness. I do. I expect that my God is going to do something great every time we gather together. And it's not because I'm preaching. I don't care where it is. I expect that God's going to meet some needs, that he's going to touch me and strengthen me and encourage me. He's going to fill my tank so I'm ready to meet the week. I believe that God is going to do something great every time we gather together in corporate worship. And some people react sometimes differently, though, and it, 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 it blows my mind. They, they think, let's, let's go to the house of Dentistry, that's how they feel. They, they think of church as similar to going to the dentist. You don't get excited about that. You don't get, you don't get pumped about going. Nobody gets pumped about going to the dentist. You don't eagerly, wait, man, only two more days. I get to, I get to go to the dentist. You don't hop out of bed in the morning and say, yes, this is the day that I get to go to the dentist. It's something you do because you know you have to. But you, you come up with all kinds of excuses to delay going to the dentist as long as you possibly can. But eventually your mom or maybe your wife is just not having it anymore. So you begrudgingly go to the dentist. You all know I'm not talking about the dentist, right? You, you know, many people think there are many similarities between going to the dentist and, and going to church. And I kind of came up with a couple. When you go to the dentist... The dentist is probably going to make you feel bad about not coming more often to see the dentist. The dentist is going to ask you some questions about your personal habits that probably are going to make you feel kind of guilty about yourself because that's what a dentist does. Uh, like they ask, when was the last time you flossed? Well, let me, let me see here, Doc. Um, based upon the amount of blood in my mouth right now, you know, really, you would know that answer better than I would because when was the last time I came to see you? That's what a lot of people might say. When you leave the dentist, oftentimes you leave feeling kind of beat up. You give the dentist money and you lie to the dentist about, see you soon. <laughs> to some, it just feels all too familiar. It's your church experience from the past. 
You've thought of church as boring or Christians maybe as dull or, or even worse yet, Christians are always upset about something. They're always angry about something. Listen to me. From the beginning of time, God designed us so that his people would be people of joy, would be people of celebration. So that's what we're going to talk about today, this last Sunday of 2017, which, by the way, hands down, has been the best year of my life ever. I'm not lying to you. The best year of my life, hands down, has been 2017. Without exception, it's been the best year of my life. So we're finishing 2017, and we're going to start the first three Sundays of 2018 because we are created to be party. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. God wants us to come together and celebrate life together. Earlier this year, we looked at a series that I did over just a few verses in the Bible in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you so you can kind of review. But in this, in this particular verse, we said we're supposed to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. Anybody remember that series as we went through this? These were the three uh, benchmarks of being a Christian. What does God want for you in your life? And it says that we're supposed to give thanks in all circumstances. This kind of joy is not a denial of reality. I'm not asking you to deny reality and what's really going on in life. I watch the news just like you. 2017, although it's been the best year of my life ever, there's been a lot of grave things that have happened this last year. How many weeks in a row does it seem like get up here and we're praying for another disaster? It seems sometimes like wickedness is winning in our culture from the church shooting and Sutherland Springs, Texas, 26 believers in church worshiping get just executed, or the Las Vegas massacre where 58 people were killed, or Charlottesville, Virginia, where three people died, dozens were injured due to a white supremacist nut job that's out there. And when we look at all these things, how can people possess that kind of hatred? How can they possess that kind of racism, that kind of evil in their hearts? I'd prefer not to even think about it. I'd prefer to not even have put that in my message. I'd prefer to put my head in a paper bag and ignore those, those uh, things that are taking place in our culture and our world around us. And yet as Christians, we cannot pretend that everything is okay when it's not. We, we cannot be afraid to engage some of culture's challenging aspects. We live here. We, we've got to do something. Last week, I went to the city council meeting in the city of Lathrop to pray uh, to pray for the city council. They invite us to come. I'm excited that the Lord, the Lord directed my steps through another pastor in our community who assigned me to go to that particular meeting. Because I went to, to that particular meeting and I, they uh, got up and I looked at the agenda. I always look at there early. I read the agenda and I thought, oh, this will be interesting. So I text my wife and say, baby, I'm not coming home tonight. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here at the city council meeting. So I prayed for the, over the the... I mean, I prayed over the city council that, that God uh, would anoint their minds, that he would give them wisdom beyond their years, and that they would do what's in the best interest of every man, woman, boy, and girl within the limits of the city of Lathrop. Shortly after I uh, did that, there was many discussion over some hot topics that are coming up. And then, then there was a, a small line item that was not small to me. The line item was this. Um, it was a decision as to whether the city of, the city of Lathrop, they were actually being very proactive. I'm really proud of our city council. Most of them are believers. 
I'm proud of them. But what I discovered was they need support from the believers in the community. Because if they don't get support, then they got to do what they got to do. They had put a, uh, 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 there's a law in place in the, in the state of California that the great voters in the state of California passed, which says that marijuana is legal. And you can have up to six plants as of January 1st in your home. Anybody can. Your neighbor can have pot and, and whatever you call it, and marijuana and reefer, whatever it is. They can, they can grow that in their homes. And uh, they can use it, too. You just, you just got to be at least 18 years old or older. And, and so that's something we can't stop at this juncture without taking it back to the voters. But one thing that, that also passed was that cities in the state of California, it now is legal to have um, hydroponics places, uh, marijuana growth places, marijuana uh, uh, testing places, uh, marijuana distribution places are legal to put in any city, any community in the state, except the community themselves can vote against it if they want to. And so on the agenda, see now there was, they have until January, I think 7th or something like the 8th, um, um, that uh, the city has already passed a law saying that we can't, and they haven't passed it, they proposed that they would like to pass a, an ordinance saying it has to stay outside the city limits. We can't have it here. But there was a window, and the window was they, they said we need an emergency proclamation that says that we're a moratorium on this, which means we cannot have any of these businesses within the city limits of the city of Lathrop uh, until between now, today, and January 7th. Um, and uh, they wanted to know if anybody, I wanted to speak on it, so I filled out a card, and I turned it in, and the city clerk said that I could come to the microphone. The timer turns on for five minutes, and I talked to them about, um, I didn't have time to prepare, but I talked to them about how this is such a slippery slope for society, um, that as a pastor in the community that does so hundreds of counseling sessions, um, that talks to people in the church and outside the church, how drugs has impacted in such a horrendous way so many families. That addiction and the slippery slope toward addiction has to be battled. That if we don't do something, then it, the blood is on our hands. That we have to be proactive. As a business person in the community, there are only three places of commerce in Lathrop. And I'm at one of them. And I, I don't want my place of business where children are coming every single day and every single night to be next door to a place that sells uh, in my, my opinion, evil and wickedness. Now, you can have your own opinions. I understand there's, there's people have exceptions and rules and stuff. I'm just talking about your regular junkie, guys. Um, I'm, I don't want that. I don't want anything to do with that. So I spoke passionately with a plea against it. it, was a, it was a, a, they weren't all standing, but it was almost a standing ovation. There was, the, there was three in there that weren't. And those three were business owners that had already signed leases on buildings in Lathra. That as soon as, as soon as January 1st comes... They take possession of the building, and there's nothing the city of Lathrop can do about it. That's why they needed the emergency proclamation. Afterwards, I'm flooded by the media, uh, wanting, to come, there's, uh, wanting to come and get my name right and talk to me and everything, and I had no idea there was that much media in, in Lathrop, but apparently this is a real hot topic in every community right now. And our city council voted unanimously five to zero to deny their request, even after their passionate pleas as business owners saying that this should come. And I think that's something we should give God praise for, and we should thank God that he did that. I'm going to go back. I told him, you're just going to expect me to be back at every city council meeting from now on, because if this kind of stuff is on the agenda, and I have no idea it's out there, and they're like, what you need to do, pastors, you need to bring your people, because we can't do anything about it. Um, unless we have constituents that show up 
that say something. So expect, that's why I want you the email address. Expect that when I get the, the, I said, I don't know. I can't bring people unless I know what's on the agenda. So they told me they're going to make, make sure that I know so that I can let you know so that you can take an evening and show it for an hour on a Monday night with me. And uh, one at a time, we'll just go up there and say, I'm uh, totally against this. That's all you got to say. And then sit back down again. So I'm asking for your help with this. So do we need to engage in challenging aspects of the world? Yes, we do. Do we need to fight for justice? You better believe that we do. But we must do so with a spirit of joy. Not because everything is good. Not because everything is great, but because of who God is, because of what God has done, and because that one day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to say, enough of that. I'm making everything new. That's why we do this, guys. And so today, what I want to do as we kick off this series, man, I'm excited about this. I want you to, you're going to turn to the Old Testament where there's a number of places that make it clear in our minds that God had in his mind for his people to be celebratory people. Then in the next three weeks, we're going to focus not on the Old Testament, but on the New Testament, primarily on the life of Jesus for the first three weeks of 2018, because it seems like wherever Jesus went, a party seemed to follow him. So turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23, Leviticus. We don't teach a whole lot from the book of Leviticus. In fact, if you were like me and you start January 1st reading your Bible every day on a Bible reading plan, you read through Genesis, you read through Exodus, and by the time you get to Leviticus, that's probably where you tapped out every year, all right? Because Leviticus is one of those books that's just full of all kinds of laws that were written for God's people, usually most of the time for them in that period of time. One of the things you see in the book of Leviticus is where God is making it clear what expectations that he have for his people. What are they? And then, as dull as that might sound, we read that one of God's major expectations for his people was celebration. Celebration was a big deal. Leviticus 23 is where we're going to be. Leviticus chapter 23. See, parties were a priority to God. They were a priority. And even though we may not celebrate some of these feasts, now they call them feasts, um, that's a party is what it is. It's a celebration is what it is. So when you see, by the way, anytime I see feasts, you don't have to convince me that's a party, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and that's a party. That's a festival is what it is. And we're going to look at these festivals this morning, and they're going to help us understand that God wants his people to celebrate. He wants, and if they could celebrate back then before the cross, how much more should we celebrate today after the cross, Right? So we're talking today about celebration because we live on this side of the cross. Leviticus chapter 23, I'm reading from the NIV, might be a little bit different. I realized a couple weeks ago as I was preaching and I looked back at the screen, the NIV has a more revised version, but I'm using my NIV because all of my notes, all of my study, all of my time, I just, this is my Bible. So I'm reading from this. So if it's a little bit different, it's because you know, language changes over, over years and so forth. But Leviticus chapter 23, the first two verses... The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed feasts, the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. <coughs> Two things. First of all, that these, these uh, parties were appointed. These parties were actually scheduled. They had to be put on the, the calendar. And if you fast forward here for a second, if you take all seven of these celebrations that we're going to briefly look at this morning, it won't take that long. Don't, don't check out on me that you heard the word seven. Oh, my goodness. 
But as you take those seven parties and you, each one of those parties, if you add them up, add it up to, together to be about 30 days of celebrations in the calendar year. If you add to that the weekly gathering, yes, God expected his people to gather together and celebrate him every week. If you add that to it, and you add the wedding celebrations and the birth celebrations that God in his word said that we should do, it ends up being about three months of the year. God expects 25% of your time, he expects you to be having a good time gathering together and rejoicing and being thankful. So it is careful and it's clear as we study these that these were appointed by God. They were holy and sacred celebrations. Don't let those church terms uh, trip you up. Holy and sacred doesn't mean boring, celebratory. Truly, the Hebrew word seriously means party is what it means. And look at verse number three now. And there are six days when you may work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a day of sacred assembly. There it is again. You are not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. Sometimes people read that and they look at that and they, can think, they think of Sabbath as complete rest. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that you, you know, leave me alone. I don't want to talk to anybody else. All I want to do is leave the covers up as far as I can so that I can see the TV and watch Netflix all day long. That is not what it means to get a Sabbath. It says it's a day of complete rest for what? For a holy assembly, for gathering together and having a party. It's a time in which we celebrate what God has done for us and what God is yet to do. That's what the Sabbath is all about. So God modeled this for us about what he had created. God didn't lay back in his gigantic hammock and look down at the earth and say, you know, man, I'm exhausted. I think God instead celebrated. Who did he celebrate with? With himself, right? Because I am that I am. And so there's this celebration that took place. And then it officially became law. The Sabbath became law after the, uh, the Israelites were freed from slavery. Remember back in the time of Moses, right? Let my people go. And after they were freed from slavery, they would then gather together on every Sabbath, every seventh day. And what would they do? They would celebrate. They would rejoice because God had set them free from slavery. That's what they would do. It was a corporate celebration of what God had done. Man, it was exciting. Look at verse number four. These are the Lord's appointed feasts, the parties, the sacred assemblies. Um, you are to proclaim at their appointed times. <laughs> you are to proclaim at their appointed times. It didn't say you are to proclaim, man, when you feel like it. It didn't say that you are to proclaim whenever you want to, whenever you get the unction to. It says you are to proclaim, celebrate, party at the appointed time. Let me just start off with something I'm going to finish with. God wants us to practice celebration. It's not something that is a reaction. It is a proaction. We're supposed to practice partying, practice celebrating. What do y'all think heaven's going to be like? We're supposed to bring heaven to earth. Your kingdom come, right? And that's what we're doing is we're bringing something different to a depraved, dark world. Hmm. You might not feel like it. You might not want to do it, but it's on the calendar. <laughs> so it's, so it's going to get done. And during these days, you are to stop and you're supposed to be thankful, you're going to take, off, take your eyes off some of those difficulties and some of those challenges, and you're going to fix your eyes on the faithfulness of God. You're going to allow yourself to see the future 
differently, with hope and with anticipation that God is going to do what God said he is going to do. So we're going to look at seven celebrations, seven parties very briefly this morning, and what they mean for us today. These were thousands of years ago that God prescribed them for culture. I think we can learn from them today. The first one's called the Passover. Verse number five, take a look at that. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the month. All right, so let's just kind of, this is the one, the feast, the party that you're probably most familiar with, and you'll be familiar with it when I remind you very briefly. God's people had been enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years. Let that sink in for just a second. For hundreds of, for generations, they had been enslaved. Moses comes on the scene and says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh's heart hardens, and he says no. So God sends a series of plagues. Y'all remember? There were locusts. There were frogs. There were gnats. There was blood. It was, it was crazy. But Pharaoh still says, no, no, no. I will not let the people go. The final plague is when God tells his people to take the blood of a spotless lamb, to sacrifice that lamb, and apply that blood to the doorposts of their home. And then that night, the death angel is going to come, and the firstborn of every, the first, every firstborn is going to die, except for the homes that are in a house that have the blood applied to the doorpost of the home. Then the death angel would pass over their home, and then they would have safety. When this happens, Pharaoh and all of his kingdom lose all their firstborns, their firstborn sons, their firstborn daughters, their firstborn sheep, their firstborn uh, horses, their first, everything firstborn dies. But God's people who had the, the blood applied to the doorposts of their homes, then they are saved. And so finally, uh, Pharaoh's pride is broken and he releases Moses and releases God's people from hundreds of years of slavery. That's why they celebrate, they have this party annually called the Passover, because they're celebrating God's deliverance, they're celebrating God's protection, that God was watching over them, that God rescued them from slavery. And, and, and the Passover was also a time not just to reflect back, but much like Advent that we talked about in Christmas time, uh, the Passover was also a time to look ahead when the Savior would come, the Messiah would come, when Jesus would come, and he would be the sacrificial lamb that would save us from our sins. So it was a time of commemoration, but it was also a time of anticipation, looking back at God's faithfulness and looking ahead with faith. Tomorrow is my wife's birthday. It's also our elder Terry's birthday. And I just want to say, you know, I appreciate Keely so much. I appreciate Terry so much that in honor of them, all of our society would shut down and give us all the day off from work. So we're grateful for that, for your birthdays. And uh, yeah, so happy birthday. Every time that we have birthdays or anniversaries, I guess I'm getting a little bit older. Because now when we have birthdays and anniversaries, I do a lot more reflecting than I ever had before in my life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes? We remember the past. Keel and I will talk about things like, like places we've lived, not just the houses, the communities that we've lived in <laughs> together, the churches that we've served. We even talk about things like the cars that we've owned, 
<laughs> and, you know, Trin was saying, if I can just get that car, that'll be the last car I'll ever need. Yeah, that's a crock, right? Um, the vacations that we've taken, you know, we reflect back, but we also, at those times, those anniversaries and birthdays, we take time to, to kind of celebrate the future. Each stage in our life is, is full of anticipation. We're entering into a new stage in our life, a new stage in our life that is soon to be the empty nest stage. And um, I'm good with that, right? I, I'm not good with my daughters like leaving, but I'm, I'm okay with that because we looked forward to it. We dream about a preferred future, almost using prophetic imagination, all right? Seeing what God would want us to, and we may not, may not come out exactly like that. That's what we do when we come to church, guys. When we gather together at New Life, we put the phones down long enough to say, thank you, God, for what you've done, and I trust you for the journey ahead. That's why we celebrate when we come to church together. Second one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I'm not going to take a lot of time in every one of these, but just the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That doesn't sound like a, doesn't, kind of doesn't sound like a part. Look at this, verse number six. Um, on the 15th day of that month, uh, the Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. It's kind of an unusual party instruction. Hey, you know what we're going to do? <laughs> We're going to have bread with no yeast. Uh, here's the story God's telling us. When Pharaoh said, okay, your people can go, Moses, God's people, millions of them, millions of them, packed up and got out of Egypt immediately. I mean, they left so fast, so quickly, they did not even have time for their bread to rise. So they're celebrating this. That's how quickly they went from hundreds of years of slavery to freedom that quickly. By the way, that's how quickly you go from dozens of years of bondage to freedom, right? It's just, it's, so they don't even have time for their bread to rise. So every year they have this party and they celebrate this week that God had rescued them from slavery and he led them into the promised land. The Bible says in Romans chapter six and Romans chapter eight that this is what Jesus had done for us. He set us free from the burden of sin. We don't have to wait for the bread to rise. You don't have to get good enough to get right with God. You don't have to wait for the bread to rise. You don't need yeast. It is an instant thing with God. His forgiveness is yes and amen. The old is gone. The new has come. You're set free. That's what he's saying to us. So we celebrate with a party. Some of you know this so well. I, one of the greatest things in my job is I love to hear stories. Sometimes it's hard, hard to shut up uh, just to hear the stories, but I love to hear the stories, the stories of your life, how this is true for you, how Jesus set you free and you immediately began living the journey, the free life. And you are not going back in that prison cell again. You've decided that whom the Son has set free is free indeed. That's something we celebrate. That's why we are party people. Let's get it started. Let's get it started in here. Let's get it started. Let's get it started in here. Some of you have been set free from things like bitterness and betrayal. Some of you have been set free from the prison of addiction. If we raise hands in here, I think some of you'd be surprised. 
Some of you have been set free from the guilt of your own sins. You've been set free from the chains of loneliness or the grip of fear in your life has just disintegrated. That's something to celebrate. And so we come here today and we celebrate what God has done for us. When I wasn't saved and I would go to church with my girlfriend in high school, who's my wife now, and I would go to church with her and we'd sit in this Assembly of God church on a Sunday night. I was there because I thought it was a date and I'd be watching these little old ladies. They'd stand up with their little white handkerchiefs and they'd say, thank you, Jesus. Jesus, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And they sit back down again, right in the middle of the pastor's preaching. I thought, well, that's, that's just ridiculous. That's just weird. That's just, that's just ludicrous. I, I, it's embarrassing. I, 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 so I had no choice but to make fun of those ladies is what I felt like. Because I, well, I, didn't, I didn't know. I couldn't see through their lens. Fast forward 10 years, we were invited to come back and preach at that church. And I remember those two ladies. And I had them stand and I told him how much of a difference it made in my life, an imprint that's there. Why did I make fun of people? For the same reason people make fun of you. Same people, jealousy is the reason people make fun of other people, because you got something that I don't got, and I feel so insecure about myself that I've got no choice but to make you feel bad, and they didn't feel bad. Why? Because they were celebrating what God had done for them in their life. And so we come in here to celebrate what God has done. That's why we're hosting this thing on Saturday night, this night of worship and prayer at 7 o'clock. It's going to be a night of celebration, but it's also going to be a night of deliverance and freedom. Come expecting to see what God will do. Hey, the next one in verse number 9, take it, it's called the Feast of First Fruits. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. Uh, this is kind of weird. Um, Think in terms of thanksgiving. We all can understand thanksgiving, where we celebrate God's provisions. What they would do is they would slow down even in the midst of a very busy season called the harvest. I mean, the harvest is happening. It's getting, and they would commit this time, this party, this feast, this celebration to God, thanking God in advance for the harvest that they were about to bring in. So they were thinking, I want you to get this. They would celebrate in advance for what they had not yet received. <sighs> they would celebrate in advance for what they had not yet received. I think that's pretty powerful. And that's exactly what we do when we come to new life. Sometimes this can be hard for us to do. It's so easy to get focused on the problem, isn't it? And not focused on the possibilities. Isn't that true? That's so true for me. It's so easy to get focused on the problem. Maybe you thought your marriage was going to look like this. That's not what it looks like. And what's happened is that has robbed you of your joy and you end up getting kind of frustrated with God. Maybe you thought being a parent was going to look like this and that is not what it looks like at all. Maybe you thought your new job was going to look like this, but it turns out it's just like the old job, just a different location to further commute. Maybe you thought that God was going to do this, and it doesn't look anything like what you thought God was going to do in your life. It can be really hard to be grateful and to celebrate when reality doesn't meet our expectations. So, so, so each of these celebrations is a time set aside that Paul says in the New Testament is good and is praiseworthy. It's a time to pay attention to God's grace 
and in our lives and what he has done for us, but also to look ahead to the harvest that is incumbent. It is happening. Hey, the next one's called the Feast of Weeks. This one's also known as Pentecost. You can take a look at it there in Leviticus 23, but for time's sake, I'm just going to keep rocking. This is the party that takes place after the harvest has been brought in. The word Pentecost has a meaning, and it's actually a number. Pentecost means 50. So it literally means in the Greek, 50. It's a number. So Pentecost is 50. 50 days after the first fruits party, after the party before the harvest, comes the party after the harvest. 50 days is how long it takes to bring in the harvest. And the purpose of this party is to give thanks to God for what we now have received. So we have a party for what we're going to receive. We don't know what's going to be. And then we have a party after we have received it. It's called Pentecost. It's also a foreshadowing, though. This party was for centuries, a foreshadowing of the day of Pentecost that is to come. That day when the birthday of the church was, um, that we received the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts when the church was born. It can all be traced back, get this, it's kind of cool, can be traced back to Jesus when he was crucified on the cross. And we understand that he rose, after he was on the cross, he rose from the dead, he died buried. He rose how many days later? Y'all are Bible scholars, three days later. He then spent 40 days with his disciples on planet earth. 40 plus three, help me out, geniuses. Nobody pulled out their iPhone for that one. Then after Jesus ascends into heaven, it says, he tells his disciples, go and wait. Would you just go wait in that upper room and I'm gonna send somebody more powerful than me. The Holy Spirit is gonna come and he is gonna descend upon you, anoint you, tongues of fire are gonna take place, things are gonna happen, a rushing mighty wind, go and wait. So those 500 people go and wait, how long do they wait? They wait for a week, seven days. How long is 43 plus seven? Quick, math majors. 50. 50 days after the first fruits <laughs> comes the Pentecost. And that's why we celebrate after Easter, we celebrate the 50th day after Easter is always on your calendar the day of Pentecost. I need you to get this. For generations, God's people were celebrating these harvests, these prescribed parties, these feasts, but they were actually celebrating something much greater than that. They didn't even understand at the time. Maybe you are too. No, maybe. You are too. When we gather together to worship, that's exactly what we're doing. We are celebrating and giving praise to God for what he has done and for what he's going to do in our lives. We're thanking him for what he's not yet done, but he has guaranteed he's going to do it. Man, hallelujah. I don't know, I'm so excited, I'm sweating. <laughs> the Feast of Trumpets is the fifth one. Now, this party is the trumpets mark the end of the agricultural year. So at the end of that agriculture year, the harvest has been brought in, it's all been sorted and distributed. At the end of that year, they blast the trumpets. When it's all done, the, the trumpet call is heard. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 16, New Testament this time. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. When it's all done, when it is all finished, when every ear is heard and been given an opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going to hear the trumpet call of God. It's going to sound. That's the party that we're looking for, friends, and it's going to happen. Hallelujah. And it's going to happen. The Feast of Tabernacles. 
Verse number 40, Leviticus chapter 23, verse number, fast forward to 40. On the first day, you are to take choice fruit from the trees and palm fawns, leafy branches and poplars, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. In this, in this feast, we would have, um, think of it as a long, a week-long camping trip. Anybody go camping? All right. Me neither. You're at the right place here, friends. We're in unity. It's a week-long camping trip where they spend the, the week in huts or in tents, and they do this as a party. They'd, I mean, this isn't like a sacrifice. This is a party. And here's the reason they do it. It's a, they would remind them of this is how we used to live. We used to live in tents, but now we live in houses. We used to live as slaves, but now we live as free people. We used to live as foreigners, but now we have a homeland. That's why they celebrate this week-long party camping out in the wilderness. It was a reminder that they were slaves, but that was temporary. Sure, it was hundreds of years, but now they're, now they're in the promised land. That was, that's one of the things that we celebrate as we gather together. Listen, guys, this world can beat you up, but this world is temporary, and these bodies are just tense. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, right? Yes? These bodies are just tense. We're not going to live in them forever, and when we feel overwhelmed or when we're struggling or when we feel the pain of this life, we stop to party and we stop to celebrate because this is a temporary structure, and heaven is our home. Someone say praise God. Amen, right? Yes, heaven is our home. The day of atonement is the last one as I begin to close. In this celebration, I love this illustration. In this day of atonement, you can read about Leviticus 23. The high priest would take two goats and he would, he, one would be sacrificed because without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. All right? So one would be sacrificed and the other one, this is really interesting, the high priest would take his hands and he would lay his hands upon the goat and he would pray, and he would symbolically transfer all of the sins of the people to the goat. Then he would take the goat into the wilderness, and he'd slap it on the butt and set it free. That goat was called the scapegoat. This seemed kind of strange until Jesus was introduced by John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verse number 29, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was both the sacrificial lamb and the scapegoat. Jesus covered it all. You see, when they had this day of atonement, this party, this celebration, when this thing took place, this wasn't a solemn, this was exciting. When you saw the high priest lay his hands upon the goat, and you thought of all the decrepit, horrible things you had done, and you knew that your sins were being transferred to that goat, and it was being set free, you knew that one day a Messiah was going to come, and he was going to take that penalty for you so that you also could be set free from your sins. That's why we celebrate. We should be the happiest, most joyful, most celebratory people on the planet. We understand what Jesus did. And we cannot help but to be party Let's people. Let's get it started. Let's get it started in here. Let's get it started. Let's get it started in here. So if we, as we've seen today in these seven Old Testament celebrations, 
I think it's pretty easy to see how they connect us. I think it's pretty easy to see. But there's one big idea that I want you to get. I'm going to put it on the screen. God wants us to be grateful. But gratitude requires practice. You heard the phrase, you got to have an attitude of gratitude. I don't know if I, I said it so many times. But I think I know what I mean. But I think I'm wrong in the way I'm saying it. See, most people, um, you only know if I'm grateful if you feel appreciated. Make sense? We need to practice gratefulness. That is why we come together in unity on Sundays here at this campus. That is why we come together, because we're practicing gratitude. And the result of practicing gratitude, what does it do? What does it produce when you practice gratitude? It brings about joy into our lives, joy that is unspeakable. You know, I can't even tell you why. And it's full of glory. And joy-filled Christians are indeed Let's get party. it started. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. Man, church should be the most exciting place in the world. Let's get it started. Hallelujah. Can you give the Lord a hand clap this morning? God is good. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that in the Old Testament, we understood that you, you prescribed parties, that you, you desire for your children to celebrate with exuberance, with passion, with gratitude and thankfulness, with joy. God, thank you that you want us to, how much more should we celebrate today after the cross? And so God, on this final Sunday gathering in 2017, we reflect back and we say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. You're a good and gracious God. We can't count the numbers of times that you saved our lives, certainly saved our butts. We thank you, God, that you've been there for us. You are an ever-present help in time of trouble. You're a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And God, we also look forward with great anticipation and eagerness to what you have before us. Lord, we know that um, we're not always happy because that's based upon the happenings in this society and world. But we can be joy-filled Christ followers that are absolutely demonstrating and representing the goodness of God. So we ask, Lord, that you would remind us to be people of celebration. And we give you praise. And we give you glory. And we give you honor. For it's in Jesus' name. And all the house said, amen and amen and amen. Here's the altar call this morning, friends. If you are happy in the Lord, if you're ready to celebrate that clip that these young people have been doing, these, these amazing people of God have been doing, it's placed for seven seconds. I wonder if we can finish the year for seven seconds with a little bit of party and celebration. So get to your feet. Are you ready? Let's do this. Let's get it started. Come on now. Let's get it started. Yeah. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. Hallelujah. Praise God. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap this morning. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest and may he give you peace. God bless you, New Life Church. Happy New Year. Praise God.